Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Well, hey, welcome to Renovate. Um, my name's Tyler Durham. I'm one of the uh, young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel, and uh, really glad that you're here. If you're a guest, thanks for joining us. We are working our way through the Gospel of Luke, like Ben said, and we are getting close to the end. Um, it's been a joy for me to go through this book, and I know it has been for the other teachers, and so I'm excited to jump in tonight. If you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 20. So we're going to be spending our time in Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow on the screen, or there's Bibles in the seat below you. There's a little slot below your seat. It's page 879. So while you're turning there, um, just some quick context as we jump into chapter 20. Jesus has just entered Jerusalem. And so the triumphal entry, and um, he's going to die on the cross, and he's going to be resurrected from the dead to defeat sin and death, and nobody has figured that out yet, not even his disciples. And all along the way, the religious leaders are sick and tired of Jesus. Uh, They're fed up with him. He's messing with their plan, with their scheme, with their lives, and so they're trying to find ways to trap Jesus. They're trying to find a way to get him to get in trouble with the government or get in trouble with the people and get him off the scene because he's making things really complicated for them. So let's jump in. We're going to read the passage. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get right into it. So Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 19. So it says, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So Jesus had just told a parable, and he was, he was accusing these religious leaders of rejecting all the prophets in the Old Testament and rejecting the Son of God, which was him. The religious leaders rejected the Messiah. So in verse 20, it says, So they watched, they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute or taxes? Is another word for that. Is it, us, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that we, um, that we receive through reading and meditating on your word. Um, Father God, I thank you for the privilege to preach tonight. I pray that you would use me. Um, I pray, Lord God, that your spirit would, would use the, the words that I'm speaking and the truth that I uh, deliver to change lives. And so, Father, prepare the hearts and minds of all of us in here tonight to not only hear your word, but to obey your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so originally I titled this sermon tonight, God and Government. Um, I thought it was going to be a, a, a fun sermon where we got to talk about politics and Donald Trump and, and the communist Bernie Sanders, but actually, um, that's not exactly what this passage is about. 
Um, I was talking with my wife last night, just kind of going over the sermon. Um, preachers never stop thinking about the sermon up until the last minute. And last night I realized this, this isn't about God and government. Uh, this passage is about authority. This passage is dealing with authority issues. And interestingly, I read a, an article in the New York Times and a guy named Jack McKenzie, who's the president of a company in Los Angeles that analyzes generational trends for big corporations. Uh, so these corporations are trying to figure out how to reach different demographics. And, and he said about millennials, which is those who are born between 1980 and 1996. So most of you, I was born in the 70s, 79, so I just missed the cut. But here's what he said about millennials. He said, what millennials have in common is a lack of trust and authority, widespread tolerance, parental closeness, a desire to compromise, and a level of optimism that most people think is almost silly. Now, I'm not saying that. He's saying that. I don't know if I agree, agree with him, but I'm, I'm not here to talk about the stereotypes of millennials, but I do think authority is a big issue, specifically with your generation, specifically with your age at this time in your life. And the great thing about the Word of God is that uh, it's forever uh, contemporary. Even though it's a book written a long, long time ago, there were people in the first century who were struggling with authority issues. And so what I wanna show you tonight in this passage is three authority issues that these people were struggling with. Uh, the first one is authority issues regarding ourselves, like, uh, the desire to be in control, the desire to determine what we do in our life and, 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 and all the decisions that we make, the desire to be in control ourselves. The second authority issue is in regards to government. How do we navigate this, this uh, issue of the state and government? And then the third authority issue is regarding to God. How do we interact with God? And so I just want to jump in. And, and so in verse 19, uh, we're going to look at authority issues regarding ourselves. So it says this, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So it's so interesting, these religious leaders, they, they were fed up with Jesus. And in chapter 19, at the very end of chapter 19, it says that Jesus was teaching daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. And then at the beginning of chapter 20, it says they, they accuse him by what authority are you doing these things? You see, these religious leaders had power. They were power hungry. They loved control. They loved to sit in the, in the, the greatest, most prestigious seats at the table. They, they loved to be looked at as, as religious experts and authorities, and they dressed different than everybody else. And they wanted the attention of everybody else. They prayed in public so people would be like, man, look at how awesome and religious these people are. And then Jesus comes along and says, you brood of vipers, you have no idea, but you've rejected the things of God. And he called them out, and Jesus started having influence with the people, the Jews. And he started stealing the influence away from them, and it threatened their authority. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Coach Patterson is the guy I thought of with, uh, with you know, TCU football, obviously. But he, he's an authoritarian coach. He's a disciplinarian. Uh, some of you played for his team, and I've known some guys who played for his team. And he, is, he, he runs a tight ship. 
And that's why they're so good. But can you imagine an all-star player on his team that began to rebel against his system? That began to recruit players away from his way of doing things and began to directly challenge his authority. And that player, that little punk player, that little 22-year-old is threatening the livelihood of Coach Patterson and his family and his legacy. What do you think he would do? He would be frustrated and he would think about how can I get rid of this cancer that's hurting our team and hurting our, uh, you know, our structure and hurting my legacy. That's what's happening here. Jesus is a rebel who's threatening all that they've lived for. You know, I, I think we're a lot like these religious leaders. I think I'm a lot like these religious leaders. I think it's really easy for us to say, Lord, I, be I believe in you as my savior, but not as my Lord. You know, I, I, I want to have authority over my life. I know my goals. I know the vision for my life. I, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to determine what I do. I want to determine the people that, that I hang out with and the people that I date. I don't need you to be the Lord of my life, but just be my savior. You see, we, we have an authority issue there. We want to keep authority just like these religious leaders. And we, we all struggle with that. It's a universal problem. The hardest thing to do in giving our lives to Christ is to give up control and authority. And say, you take control. You be Lord of my life. And so who were these religious leaders that Jesus is talking to? The this, this same narrative is told by Mark. And, and Mark refers to these religious leaders as the Pharisees and the Herodians. Two different, totally different groups of people. So think of the Pharisees like fundamentalists. Think of them as like the hardcore conservative Republicans. They're, they're religious zealots and they're, they're fundamentalists and, and they're, they're, they're loyal to the Jewish people and they hate the Roman government. And then on the other side are the Jewish Herodians. And they're compromisers, they're progressives, they're liberals. They want to they get in good with the Roman government. And so these two religious groups on the two totally different sides, polar opposites, come together because of their equal hatred of Jesus. And they say, what can we do to get this guy? Because he's messing with our program. He's taken away the authority that we want to have over our lives and over the people. And so they devised a plan. And we see the plan in verse 20. It says, so they watched him and sent spies. So they were too afraid to just grab him because he had so much influence with the people that the people would turn on them. So they sent spies. Listen to this phrase, who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality but truly teach the way of God. So what did they do? They planted spies. They planted people in the, the group that followed Christ that said were disciples of Christ. And these people spoke the language, blended in and followed Jesus from place to place and looked on the outside sincere. And on top of that, they flattered Jesus. And I'm telling you, preachers love flattery. We love compliments. And so they were like, teacher, you are 
man, you obviously walk with God and what you say is right. And, and it was all flattery. And I love what one theologian says. His name's R. Kent Hughes. He says, flattery is the reverse mirror image of gossip. You see, gossip involves saying behind a person's back what you would never say to their face. But flattery is saying to a person's face what you would never say behind their back. These, these hypocrites, these These people who were faking being a follower of Christ were telling him what he wanted to hear, but behind the scenes, they hated his guts and thought he was someone they needed to get rid of. They were hypocrites, and Jesus saw right through that. Guys, there's a huge lesson in this passage for every single one of us in this room. We we live in the Bible Belt, okay? And even though things in this culture are shifting at a rapid pace, still in in the world that we live in, most people profess to be Christians. But we have a tendency to act outwardly like Christians, but on the inside, our hearts are far from God. We have a tendency to blend in and say the right things and get into the small groups and go to the events and, and, and come and listen to the sermons and say, preacher, great sermon. Look, I took notes, but their hearts, our hearts are far from God. We're not sincere. We haven't really given over our lives to Jesus Christ. We're just playing the Christian game. Guys, I'm I'm telling you, in, in the culture that we live in, we're surrounded by experts at playing the Christian game. Asking questions like you want to know the truth, but you don't want to know the truth. You, you just want to cause division. You just, want to, you just want to ruffle feathers. You just want to be a skeptic just to be a skeptic. You're not seeking the truth. You look sincere, but your heart is far from God, just like these religious leaders. Now, but before I move on, I, I want to make sure you understand what I'm not saying. If you're in this room and you don't profess to be a follower of Christ, you're a non-Christian, you, you're just here because someone invited you, and you're listening, and you're seeking, and you're genuinely looking and seeking for the truth, and you're asking questions, I say, come on. I say welcome. I actually love talking to people like that who genuinely are looking for the truth. I'm not talking, I'm not talking to you tonight. Our ministry is built for you. A lot of what we do is so that you feel welcome and comfortable to ask the hard questions. And we will take as much time as you need to answer those questions. So this isn't about having questions and, and being doubting certain things. This is about the person who knows and that they know that they know in their hearts that they really don't want to give their lives over to Jesus because they're afraid of what that might mean, but they still want to act like they have. That's what he's talking about right here. These are, these are people planted who looked like followers of Christ. And if that's you tonight, I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that way. And if I had to guess, you're probably not living in joy and contentment and peace. And and what I want to plead with you tonight, what I want to persuade you to do is stop the the charades, stop the game and and confess it to Jesus tonight. We're going to have a time at the end where we just we sing and we sit in our chairs and we pray and some people go outside. But if you need to stay in here and say, Lord, I've been playing games, but I want to stop playing games. I give you everything. You have authority over my life. I'm telling you, if you do that, you will be changed when you walk out of here. 
It's more than just saying, I believe in Jesus intellectually. It's about in your heart saying, I will take up my cross and die to myself and follow you wherever you want me to go. I will, I will do whatever you want me to do. If you want me to break up with this person, I'll break up with this person. If you want me to go on this mission trip, I'll go on this mission trip. If you want me to sell all that I have, I'll sell all that I have. You are the Lord of my life because I'm not doing it well. I'm going to surrender the lordship of my life to you. It's authority issues that Jesus is talking about here. But secondly, it's authority issues with the government. This is interesting. So in verse 22, he says, they, they, they say to Jesus, they're trying to get him. They say, is it lawful for us to give tribute or taxes to Caesar or not? It's a yes or no question. Um, it's it's, it's kind of like if, if I called out a guy in, in front of a large group of people and I said, yes or no, have you stopped cheating on your girlfriend? If he answers yes, that implies that he was cheating on his girlfriend. If he answers no, that means he's continuing to cheat on his girlfriend. That is a lose-lose proposition. That's a trick question. And if I call him out in front of people, he's going to be like, oh, crap, what do I say? And, and he's stuck. And that's exactly what they were trying to do to Jesus. Jesus, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, it's interesting. If Jesus says no, it's not lawful then the Herodians, who are in, in cahoots with the Roman government, are going to immediately bring him to the authorities and say, this man is not paying tribute to Caesar. This man is a rebel. This man is trying to incite people to rebel against the government, and he's arrested, and their plan is accomplished. But if he says, if he says, yes, it's, it's, um, if he says yes, then the Pharisees got him. Because if he says, yes, we should be paying taxes to Caesar, then all of the Jewish people are going to be like, wait a minute, I thought you were for us, but it seems like you're for the government. The Pharisees would build, build up the people against him, and now he's lost his influence. He's stuck in this dilemma. Is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar? These Jews hated this tribute. They hated it. They hated the Roman government. And he was stuck, so what, what did he do? It says in verse 23, but he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. And what's funny is somebody had a denarius. And I'll tell you why that's funny in a minute. And then he says, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. So Jesus asked for a denarius. And a denarius was just this little tiny silver coin. And it had the image of, of Caesar on one side and the image of his mother on the other side. And what it said under the, the, uh, the image of Caesar was Tiberius, Tiberius Caesar, son of the deified Augustus Augustus. This is the son of God. This is attributing godlike status to Tiberius. And on the other side, it has an image of his mother, and under it, it says, goddess of, of peace, and then it says, high priest. It's giving religious and divine authority to Caesar. Of course, the Jewish people thought this was blasphemy. Of course, they hated this coin because the convictions that, you know, dealing with this thing, but they had to pay for this particular tax with this coin. There was no other coin they could use. And at the time, there was all these different coins that were used to 
for monetary reasons. It wasn't like here where the dollar bill is the only monetary um, bill. They had all kinds of coins, but they had to pay with this coin. And so Jesus says to these religious leaders, show me a denarius, and they pull out a denarius. It's like, well, you got it on you, you hypocrite. You act like you don't like it, but you sure have a lot of them on you. They loved money, love money. And so here's what he said, and this is, this, is, this is amazing. In fact, one historian says this is the greatest sentence when it comes to politics in the history of civilization. Verse 25, he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So Jesus looks at the coin and says, whose image is on that? Well, Caesar's. Well, then give it to Caesar. Render it to Caesar. Obviously, that's his. Give it to him. In that one little statement, Jesus is is helping us understand how we as Christians navigate the world of of authorities and government and presidents and even dictators in some countries. How do we deal with that? Jesus gives in one sentence respect to Caesar, but at the same time strips away his divinity. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. Strips away his divinity, but gives him the honor due his position. Brilliant answer. Brilliant. He gives us a framework. And so I want to talk about that for just a minute, and then we'll move on to the third, third issue. But the best explanation of what Jesus has said here is in two passages in Scripture. So if you're thinking, man, I want to know more about how we um, deal with government, which we're probably going to need to look at these passages more in the future. Um, the first one is Romans chapter 13. The verse is going to be up on your screen. Verses 1 through 7. So this is Paul talking about how Christians should interact with the government. And don't forget, we're talking about the Roman government that was vicious. Nero was the emperor when Paul was living. I mean, we're talking persecution and slavery and I mean, we're talking a bad government. Here's what he says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And listen to this. For because of this, you pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all who is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. And then Peter in 1 Peter 2 says the same thing. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. And then he goes on and says, fear God and honor the emperor. See, we don't fear the emperor. We fear God who's the supreme authority, and we honor the person who's the governmental authority. Jesus, Paul, and Peter are saying that the authorities that have been put in place are there because God put them there. 
Listen, guys, if Bernie Sanders becomes president of the United States, it's because God decided Bernie Sanders is going to be president of the United States. If Donald Trump becomes president of the United States, then I might question God's wisdom on that. But (laughs) Donald Trump's going to be the president of the United States because God said so. We submit to governmental authorities because we submit to God. And that's the order. Jesus in this sentence is saying, listen, God is the ultimate authority, but but God has instituted governmental authorities for our good, even if they're corrupt. I mean, you look at what's happened in Iraq and Syria, even those corrupt governments that were doing horrific things. When we removed the power and the structure, there was a vacuum, and now it's become even worse with the anarchy and the chaos. Government, even though it's bad, even though there's a lot of bad things they do, is necessary because God has deemed it necessary. So what do, what do we do with that, guys? We pay our taxes. We, we be good citizens. We, we abide by the laws of the land, whether we like them or not, because in submitting to those laws, we're submitting to God. It's kind of like with my, I have two daughters, five and two. And when my wife and I go out to, uh, you know, have a date night or whatever, we'll, in fact, there's a few people in this room who babysit for us. And when we leave, I always say, listen, you guys, talking to the babysitters, you have authority while we're gone. And I, you, have, you have my permission to discipline the kids. And, and I tell my girls, you know, they, this is your authority. You need to listen to them like you would listen to us. And in listening to the babysitters, guess who they're honoring and glorifying? Their parents. Because by submitting to them, they're submitting to us. Guys, it's the same thing with government. But some of you might be asking, well, what if the government, I mean, do we always do that? What if the government is is corrupt? When do we not do that? Real quick, three scenarios where you don't do that, where where you do rebel against the government. Number one, if you have to violate the command of God. If the government is forcing you to violate the command of God, then you can't do it. Number two, if they ask you to do an immoral act. You, you submit ultimately to God, and if they're contradicting God's word, then you, you, you can't do it. And number three, if they ask you to go against your conscience. And you can look it up at a later time, but Acts chapter 4 and 5, Peter and John are preaching the gospel, and thousands are being saved, and the, the governmental authorities are frustrated, and they arrest Peter and John and say, you guys have got to stop preaching the gospel. And they responded, listen, if, if you think it's right for us to do that or not, it's not any of our business, but God has called us to preach the gospel, and that's what we're going to do. That was a moment in time where their calling from God superseded their, the governmental authorities in their life. And, and for some of us, that day might come where we have to stand up for what we believe in, even if the government's asking us to do something else. But for the vast majority of our, of our hours and days, that's not the case. It's about us being a witness and a light by following the governmental laws and, and, and the governmental authorities and in doing that glorifying God. And then finally, authoritative issues regarding God. So going back to the verse, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. And what's really cool about this is Jesus got the denarius and he said, whose image is on that? And they said, Caesar. But 
who, is, who, who has the image of God on them today? We do. It's clear in Genesis that we were created in the image of God and the likeness of God. We were created. We are walking, living image bearers of God. Human beings are. Sinner, saint, wherever you are on the spectrum, you are bearing the image of God. And for that reason, Jesus in that sentence is saying, you need to render your life to God for you bear the image of God and you owe it to him as the creator of all things, including yourself. What a brilliant sentence. Give Caesar his little coin. God's asking for all of you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, we were bought with a price. Therefore, we should glorify God with our bodies. Christians of all people should be giving to God everything in our lives. And so once again, I go back to what I talked about earlier. What are the things in your life that you're keeping from God? What are the compartments in your life that you're like, God, you can have these parts of my life, but you can't have this. Sin is not giving God what's rightfully his. And God, Jesus is saying, he wants all of us. And I read through the whole gospel of Luke last week in, in one sitting. And what I saw over and over again was Jesus saying, if you want to be my disciple, then don't look back. Don't go back to your old life. Don't worry about the consequences Take up your cross, which means get ready to live a life of suffering and come follow me in sharing the good news, sharing the gospel around the world and giving your lives for the kingdom of God. Over and over and over, he says, come to me so that you can live your life for what you were meant to live your life for, which is to glorify me. That's why we're image bearers, to reflect the image of God. But sin has broken that. Sin has affected that. Sin has tarnished the image of God. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he transforms us from the inside out so that he changes our heart, so that not just our outward actions, but our inward motives and thoughts are glorifying to him. And we begin to live out and reflect the image of God like it was supposed to be before the fall. That's what he's calling us to do. Guys, authority issues. That's what this passage is about. So verse 26 says, and they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. That response shut them up. They're like, well, back to the drawing board. We're gonna have to figure out another way. But guys, as followers of Christ, we're called to deal with these authority issues. You need to, tonight, before you leave, deal with the authority issues in your heart. The, the desire to hang on to control. You need to deal with authority issues when it comes to governmental authorities. Maybe that's something that you struggle with. And, and most importantly, you need to deal with authority issues when it comes to the sovereignty of God over every aspect of your life. I'm telling you, there's great freedom when you release that authority to God and say, I will follow you wherever you want me to go. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that I don't have to control my life. I've tried it before and have failed miserably because I don't have a clue. And I sure don't have a clue what the future holds. And so 
I'm encouraged by this passage that those, and I've seen it throughout the whole Gospel of Luke, those who've decided to stop, stop their former life and follow you as disciples are never the same. Yeah, their life's tough. Yeah, they experience suffering. Yeah, they experience heartache. And yeah, their life is difficult, but the joy and contentment and hope and excitement for the future that they have can't even compare to the temporal things of this world that we chase after. I know for a fact there's people in here that are still hanging on to control in their life. And they're terrified to give it up. Because they've built their whole life around building up their image and building up their safety and building up their comfort and building up their, um, their little world. But that's exactly what it is, just a little bitty world when there's a huge God-glorifying world out there. My prayer is that tonight you would not let them leave until they do business with you and get these authority issues figured out. And Lord God, for those who don't know you, um, for those who are just seeking the truth, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes that they might see the truth tonight in, in your son, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. I pray that you would just be glorified in our worship the remainder of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.